0: Thank you for joining us today on the Vision Church Podcast. Our mission is to lead people to Christ and help them live out God's vision for their life. Our teaching team has crafted a message that hopefully can encourage, inspire, and also challenge you on your walk. Make sure you subscribe so you never have to miss another episode, and we hope that you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? You guys, but based off of that response, you sounded like we didn't go through an incredible worship set. So I'll go ahead and try that again. Church, how are we doing this morning? (laughs) Guys, the Lord is moving here in this place at Vision Church. I absolutely love seeing joy on people's faces. I love seeing tears on people's faces from just what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives. I love seeing more young people here, the young adult section. I loved seeing all the kids head out just a minute ago to go and learn about Jesus and these kids because God is doing so many great things here at Vision Church. So just like uh, Pastor Matt, if you haven't put it together yet, if you're a little slow, you can't see the correlation. He's my dad. I look just like him. But um, I'm just messed up. I mean, you just have to, don't be offended. But um, yes, I'm his son. And whenever he asked me a few weeks ago to speak on uh, basically Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas in the topic of staying positive at midnight. I said, okay, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, so I'm gonna have to do some research on this and some studying. And the first thing I wanna point out is that midnight is not always used in the sense of 12 p.m. Midnight is also your darkest hour. Midnight is whenever you get that breakup text. Breakup is whenever you get that pink slip. Breakup's whenever you file for bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. Bank, uh, midnight is whenever you hear that medical report about that child that you've been praying for for so long. Midnight is your darkest hour. And church, I want to encourage you today that you can choose joy in those moments. You can still praise. It may cost you everything, but you can still praise. So this week, whenever I was doing some studying, uh, just diving into God's word, waking up early before the workday, because I just want you to read. First of all, God's word, and then i uh, read commentary from other pastors. And um, guys, this past week, uh, my, my dreams have been so intense. Uh, Satan has been coming after me in my sleep a lot. I've had a couple nightmares, some dreams that were so confusing. Whenever I wake up, it took me just a little bit to get calibrated. Has anyone ever gone through anything like that before? Where the enemy just, it feels like he's just right there whispering in your ear all night. And I, I just had just some horrific dreams this week. And I was like, okay, well that means that Satan is trying to hinder something that the Holy Spirit put right here inside of me And I'm just going to proclaim today that no dreams or no demon from hell is going to stop any words that God wants to be spoken today. So, dear God, today we pray for your fire to fall on this room, God. Lord, I pray that I can just flow in the anointing that you've given me today, Lord, to speak what you've wanted me to share with accuracy, boldness, and power, God, and love from the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that hearts are opened. I pray that pride is set aside and crushed God, because humility precedes honor, God. And today, we want to be humble in the eyes of you, God, so that you can strengthen us. Because if you are for us, who can be against us? God, speak to me today. Lord, if you want me to even close my computer and preach a different message, God, you do that. Whatever you want today, Lord, I move out of the way. You come in this place this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Lewis, you're dismissed. You've been up here a while, man. You're good. Guys, let's just give it up for this band. Woo! I'm already like a little sweaty from, from jumping around this morning. If I take off this like jacket, I'm just gonna let you all know, it was just worship was good this morning. So this week I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to speak on? Obviously Acts chapter 16, but how do you want me to break it down? Do you want me to have some cute little acronym that starts with the same letter for each one? Or do you want me to have a couple different points? And I feel like whenever I was just going through it, there was so many golden nuggets in scripture I'm going to be honest, like we have a lot to cover today. So I'm going to go ahead and dive into it. Um, I just broke it into a couple different verses at a time, and then we're going to break it down. And then I have 10 points that will help you praise at midnight. Are you ready? I'd recommend you get something to write with. If not, you'll have to go back and re-watch the message. And it may not be short today, which means we'll take a lot of time this week. So number one, uh, we're going to start right here. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. Paul and Silas are on their secondary missionary journey in Philippi, and we're about to see what happens. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling, aka witchcraft. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that, spirit, at that moment, the spirit left her. I don't want us to just drive by this, but I want to actually go ahead and share three facts about demons. You may think, well, why in the world are we going to study part of the enemy? Well, if you're in any type of professional sports, you want to know who your opponent is. You want to know who you're coming up against. You'd be an idiot to just show up and say, I don't know if I'm playing the middle school basketball team or if I'm playing the pro team. Like, you want to know who you're coming up against. And I want to share three facts about demons. This one's controversial. If you disagree, you're wrong. They have limited power. But they do have power. If someone, sells, if someone just comes up and says, demons are powerless, you're just a child of God, they can't do nothing. You are being deceived. Okay, well, what makes you say that? Well, Ephesians 6.12, it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces or powers and principalities, which means that we have an ongoing battle against demons, powers, and principalities here on earth. The good news is that it does not stop there. You notice I said they have limited power because if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then you can crush a demon like it's an ant on your driveway. They have limited power, But you need to be aware that they can have power. And if you don't at least acknowledge that, you are being deceived. Number two is that they can share partial truth. In verse 17, the girl stated truth who was demon-possessed. Whenever she said, hey, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. That is is 100% true. And I had to do some reading and research. I was like, why would a demon say something true? And it's because... It's so we can feel tempted to trust them and think that they're right. But that's why you need to understand what God says so that you can look out for whenever the enemy tries to use truth to trick you. Satan tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4, and Jesus just straight up said, you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus was like, I'm not, I'm not falling for that because I know Scripture. I know your limitations. Point number three is their defeat is certain and imminent. Imminent means quickly approaching. Revelation 20 says, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. So let me summarize everything I just said. First of all, demons can have some type of power. It's very limited. They can share partial truth. But that very limited power that they do have is held hostage by us Christians because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we have a greater power. And their defeat is definitely coming soon. So... We're moving on, and in that verse, we see the slave girl's owners were not happy about what Paul did. Paul prayed, and that demon left the girl, and the slave girl's owners were really upset. And I had to think, why would they be upset? I mean, this is a good thing. That girl is freed, but it ruined their business. Their business is now gone. The fortune telling, the tricks, or party tricks, all that stuff is now gone because that woman was set free. And I just want to drop a nugget of wisdom here. Be careful who you're working for in the marketplace. Would they turn you over in a heartbeat if, it, if, if they were to lose any type of profits? Be careful who you're working for. Make sure they have the best intentions for you because the slave girls owners, they did not have the best intentions and they were not happy about her being free. So once this happened, they dragged Paul and Silas into the marketplace and tried to accuse them of throwing our city into an uproar. Can we just take a moment and say, that is so dramatic. Throwing our city into an uproar, that's like saying that I love Jesus, calling that hate speech. I'm offended. You think I'm supposed to care? Throwing our city into an uproar, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. But we're going to see that God still receives glory through unfair trials but accuse him of throwing our city into an uproar like a big riot in the buildings. He just set the girl free in Jesus' name. Chill, dude. Oh, my goodness. Acts 16, verses 22 through 24, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Has anyone ever been stripped and beaten with rods? Very good. If I see hands raised, caramots off exit 21. I I'd recommend going there. I haven't. I have not experienced that type of pain ever before. I praise God for that. I hope I never will. But this just shows that if I complain, I never had it as bad as Paul and Silas, who were stripped and beaten with rods. Verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So first of all, first picture, we have a picture of the prison. And yes, that is the actual prison that Paul and Silas were locked up in. And the next picture, um, I actually wanted to find a picture of what stocks looked like. Uh, First thing, they need to go see a chiropractor after that. That does not look real comfortable. First of all, it's uncomfortable. Second of all, it's absolutely humiliating. It's absolutely humiliating. Uh, From an earthly perspective, there's nothing that they can do to get out of that. They're trapped. They're doomed. They can't escape. If they have an itch on their face, they can't scratch it. It just looks extremely uncomfortable. And I just want us to look at that for a second and think, how in the world did they choose joy in that moment? Again, just keep that up for a minute. So, whenever we complain about our job and we have that one coworker who always nags us, that's not as bad as that. If they could choose joy in that moment, we can choose joy in our moments. I know those kids are bouncing off the walls going crazy. I went to my first one-year-old birthday party yesterday. It's not our kid. Don't worry. You didn't miss anything. It was one of Hannah's. It was the kids she, she nannies for. The kids were incredible. But something I learned about kids is they don't sit still. A lot of parents seem to like really nod their head. That's like the most amen I got the whole day. They not seem to sit still. And even if your kids are bouncing around, going all crazy, if they get in detention, they get suspended, no matter what happens, you think, how can I praise? If they could praise in stocks, you can praise in your situation. I'm not saying it's easy, but God will give you the grace to praise through it. Now we're going to go ahead and jump into points one through 10. Those first three points were just freebies. I don't charge for those. Now we're going, to, we're going to start over. Point number one, the presence of pain doesn't mean the absence of the anointing. I'm going to say that again. It was good. The presence of pain doesn't mean the absence of the anointing. Sometimes I believe it's actually an inverse correlation. Sometimes the greater the anointing, the greater pain and the greater uh, hurdles that you'll have to face in the Christian walk. Why? Because if you're not doing anything powerful for the kingdom of God and you're one foot in, one foot out, lukewarm water, Satan's like, well, I'm not going to waste any time trying to take him out because he ain't doing nothing. I'm going to go after the ones who who are actively pursuing God, winning souls for the kingdom of God. So that shows that just because you're going through a trial, doesn't mean that God is not with you, but when you're going through trials, it can be an indicator that you're exactly where the Lord wants you to be. John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. That's Jesus speaking. Why is everyone so mean? I just want to share the gospel. You think people are nice to Jesus for sharing the gospel about his ministry? The world hated Jesus first. And if Jesus was treated that way, why can us as believers expect to be treated any differently? Number two, mature Christians will rearrange their priorities. This is a lifelong continuum, I think, of us having to become more like Christ. Because we have to put aside our own desires. And you guys could be anywhere this morning. You could be sleeping in. You could be watching church online. You could be watching football. Or half of you guys would still be sleeping right now. You could be going anywhere that you want to be, but you said, this morning, I'm going to be here at Vision Church. Those of you online are saying, this morning, I'm going to put aside time to learn about God here at Vision Church. So, right, I least want to give you guys a pat on the back. You guys have rearranged your priorities enough to be here to learn about Jesus, but what about in our everyday lives? How are we shifting around our desires to put Christ on, to die the self, and to live as Christ so that we can be an evangelist wherever we go, even if you're not constantly preaching and using scripture? I'll give you an example. It's Friday, 4 p.m. at the workplace, one hour till freedom. If you hate your job, that's what people say. One hour till freedom. I'm just messing with you guys. Calm down, calm down. You're really defensive. Calm down. If you have have one hour left and you say, oh, my goodness, I just need to finish my job, clock out. I don't like this place. Uh, And God tells you, actually, I want you to stay 15 minutes after today and go talk to the receptionist and see how you can pray for them. Wait, so you mean you want me to, like, wait to clock out? No clock outs. Yeah, I, I see, I see. I know you, some of y'all are thinking, man, if I'm working for $20 an hour, then that's like $5 an hour. Plus, before the IRS and the NCDOR take some of the cut, oh, it doesn't matter. Rearrange your priorities and see what the Holy Spirit directs you to do. I don't get it perfect all the time. I bet you guys don't get it perfect, but as we're constantly being renewed in Christ, we can learn to rearrange our priorities. Now, why is this important? Because Paul didn't care about death. Following Jesus was never meant to be safe. Paul didn't go out saying, okay, I'm going to try to be as safe as possible today, and that's just my number one priority. Paul cared more about proclaiming Christ than his freedom. Philippians 121 says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what he said that, and he believes it. So whenever we walk out of here, whether you're in a prison right now, mentally, or you're watching online, you're physically in a prison, or whether you're at midnight and you say, Lord, I don't even know what to do. Ask the Holy Spirit, what priorities do you want me to rearrange in my life so that you can get the most glory? Your circumstances are not always linked to God's approval or disapproval. I don't want you to think just because you're in a tough spot right now, just because you're going through a stage of depression, it does not mean that God is not happy with you. It doesn't mean God's not proud of you. Your circumstances are not linked God's approval on your life. Sometimes just as people, we just go through hard things. Sometimes Christians will say, woohoo, I just accepted Christ. Everything's going to be easy from here on out. <laughs> and then you have to get a tire replaced, and then they recommend you get two, and then you have to get an alignment on all four, and then it costs like $2 million by the time you leave the shop. And you just accepted Christ 48 hours ago. Things do not always get easier as you accept Christ but we get to rearrange our priorities so the Lord will receive the most glory. Acts 16, verses 25 through 26. I like this part. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Then sings my soul. Oh, that was good. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew off And everyone's chains came. Some of y'all are confused. Chains came. And that can happen to you today. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them the title of my message, praising from your prison. Turn to the other one you ignored, praising from your prison. Wherever you are today, whether you're in a prison cell, whether a physical cell, mental cell, you're at midnight, you can praise from your situation. You don't have to wait to get onto a mountaintop to say, Lord, I exalt you. Lord, I love you. You could be in stocks. You could be disabled. You could be handicapped. You could be bankrupt. You could be divorced. You could be whatever and still lift up a shout of praise to God. You can praise from your prison. When that earthquake happens in your life and all those things start to come down, God has victory in store for you. Hallelujah. We love your name, Jesus. <laughs> Nothing happens until they lifted their voice. Put that scripture back up there, please. I know I'm jumping around a lot. I'll point this out. Uh, I'm sorry, I had so much scripture. It's on two different slides. Can you go back one? Can you back one? They started singing hymns to God. I, I want to point out, it did not say the foundations came down, and then they started worshiping. Why? Because that doesn't take faith. It doesn't take faith to praise God when you get a direct deposit of a bonus or a commission you were expecting. That's great, but it doesn't take faith. They started praising, next slide, and then there was an earthquake, and the foundations started to come. Nothing happens until they lifted their voice. Point number three, this is going to offend about 22% of you guys. You will never flow in the anointing with a victim mentality. You will never flow in the anointing with a victim mentality. You guys lock the doors. They can't leave. Why? Because you have competition for your praise. Are you going to lift it up to God, or are you going to keep it inside and say, Well, God, why is everyone against me today? I'm not sure why I'm doing all this. That's the sign of an immature believer. I don't mean that to hurt your feelings. I say that lovingly, but a mature believer will say, Lord, I may not know why everything's coming, but I know that Christ is in me. I am enough. You will never flow in the anointing with a victim mentality. What does a victim victim mentality mean? The little man can never get ahead. I'm not sure what happens to me. I'm just the middle child. Eeyore's my spirit animal. I can never start that business. I'm I'm just a foreigner. All the white people got that figured out. I've heard that in the marketplace before. The Lord can do anything through anyone. The Lord is no respecter of person, and if he wants to work a miracle in your life, I don't care about your age, your race, your color, your background, your net worth. How many times you filed bankruptcy or how many zeros you have at the end of your bank account? Guys, one time I was sharing the gospel with a gentleman in the gym. I got hit. He was so mad. It wasn't because what I was saying. It's because uh, I, was, I was irritating demons inside him. He got so mad. He, he, he pulled out his phone. He opened up his bank account to show me how much money he had in it. He got so mad at me. I looked at him like he had a nickel on his forehead. I'm serious. I looked at him because I know that that money is worth nothing if you don't know Christ. And whenever you have that type of mentality of, well, I'm just not sure why this is happening to me. I'm not saying you have to get perfect every time. Maybe your job is just awful and you absolutely hate it, but you can say, Lord, I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. I'm a victor. Because if you have a victim mindset and you hold on to that right now at age 27 you're going to be the textbook definition of mediocre on your deathbed you have to get rid of that victim mindset and whenever you read all throughout scripture God worked through people who had a victor mindset I'm not saying they're perfect or they had it all figured out but they had to throw that victim mindset in the trash and take on the new identity that Christ wants to give you Right now, I feel the Holy Spirit wants me to speak something to any foreigners in the room. Do you mind me, me, if you're comfortable, do you mind raising your hands if if you're a foreigner in this room who either immigrated to the country or many years ago? Okay, I want to speak something to you right now. The Lord wants to do something in you and through you. Maybe it's start a business. Maybe it's to start a ministry. But God has great things in store for you. I cannot stand whenever churches are only talking to one certain race, whether it's only white or only black or only this. But the kingdom of God is about all races and all cultures coming together. And the Lord wants to do something through you, through you, through you, through you. We may not speak the same language, but God wants to do something in your life. God has a plan for you, no matter where you come from. Because we all know if you're in the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter where you came from. It matters where we're going to. And we're going to be in heaven with the Lord God Almighty Forever and ever. So foreigners, God loves you. Of course, Americans, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. I'm sweating right now. I want to point out something right here. Their praise did not just set Paul and Silas free, but it said that everyone's chains came loose. So I want to encourage you. If you don't even have enough strength or enough faith to even raise your hand right now, the faith and praise of others can be enough to help you. Why is this important? Because it's inverse. Maybe you're saying, well, God, everything's right in my life. I have a good job. I don't have a victim mindset. I'm balling right now. Okay, well, your praise can help someone else's chains come loose. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's bearing each other's burdens. Today's a day when I can encourage you, and there may be a day whenever I need you to encourage me, And we could put our arms around each other, I texted my my friend Stephen. Stephen, raise your hand. Raise your hand. I texted him this week because those dreams were irritating me, and he prayed for me by name, and he checked in on me the next morning. A few weeks before that, we had a phone call, and I was able to encourage him. Our praise broke each other's chains. Another example of this is in Luke chapter 5. There was a paralyzed man who needed to be with Jesus. Jesus was preaching inside the house. And they, almost ran, and they just ran out of seats, hmm. sort of like here today. They ran out of seats, and this man had to get inside to see Jesus. Well, his friends didn't say, well, why don't you pull it up on the live stream or see if they have a third service, and good luck, man, figure it out. What they did, they ran up, and they cut a hole in the roof, and they got that man healed. And Luke 520 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. It didn't say when Jesus saw his faith of just the man who needed, who needed healing, their faith of their friends. And then the owner of the home was able to file a claim for the homeowner's insurance to fix the hole in the roof at that point. Adulting is so much fun. Last part before we go on to number four, you have to get negative people out of your corner. They're not a whole lot of fun. Acts 16, 27 through 30, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Back then, whenever a jailer was watching a prisoner, if the prisoner got out, they killed him. Pretty simple. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? We're just going to pause there for a second. The question changed from how am I going to make sure these two men stay locked up as tight as they can to what must I do to be saved? What was the thing that changed? It was their praise. The praise changed the heart posture. That's easy to remember. They both start with P's if you want to remember that. Point number four, where you want to be doesn't always align with where God desires you to be. I know Paul is a very mature believer, and I can't speak for him. I'm just speaking if I was in his spot. I would just have to guess he would prefer to not be in those stocks where he'd have to go to the chiropractor afterwards. I bet in a way he would prefer to be out preaching the gospel in the streets and laying hands and getting people saved and casting out demons. And I wonder if there was a thought in his mind that says, you know, I would prefer to not be here right now. Do you guys agree or, or would you guys prefer? Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. But sometimes it doesn't matter where we want to be. It matters where God needs us to be. I just keep going back to the analogy of of someone's job because I met with so many people recently and spoke with so many, especially young adults, and even some adults who are just having struggles in in the workplace, whether they're, they're not feeling fulfilled, they're not earning enough, or they just straight up hate it. They're being bullied. And if the Lord's calling you to be there, he has a purpose for it. Maybe it's just for you to shine the light of Christ and you'll never have the actual opportunity to preach and you're just supposed to be a good example so people can think of Christians and finally think that, hey, Christians can be good people and not just mean people I've seen on Facebook. Maybe you're called to be at the workplace to minister to someone. Sometimes what I've seen is whenever there's a family or a person who wants nothing to do with God, I'm not talking, they like, hey, God, they don't hate God. It's just not important to him. Do you guys know people I'm talking about? Or they will at least like respectfully like pray over a dinner with you, but they just don't want anything to do with God. But whenever you're just constantly living a good life as a Christian, just praying over people, loving on people, being generous, being happy, and with that person, all of a sudden, something just crumbles in their world. Their dog dies, a divorce, a miscarriage, a bankruptcy, a terrible event happens, and their other drinking buddies say, hey, I don't care. I can see at the bar. And they say, wait, I remember that Mayus guy. He's pretty weird, but you guys can probably agree with that. But at least he loves the, I know he loves the Lord. I know he loves me. Let me go talk with him. Why is that important? You may not see the long-term benefits of the seeds you're planting right now. You may see them five years from now, 50 years from now. Or you may just walk up and see them in heaven and say, hey, how do you accept Christ? It's because of the example you lived in the workplace. Whenever I went through this deep depression, I picked up a Bible because you told me that's where I can look to find hope. And you may not want to be there, but God wants you there to impact people for his kingdom. Number five, you must long for God's presence over physical freedom. This one's tough. It sort of ties into number four. But we have to get to a point of saying, Lord, I want what you want more than I want to be safe, more than I want physical freedom. I'm not sure if there will be a day here in America where we will maybe not be allowed to carry a Bible out in public. I'm not sure if Christianity will always be legal. But this past Wednesday, I had lunch with a good friend of mine, and we both carried our Bibles in the Longhorn. Uh, great restaurant. love it. We were just carrying our Bibles, and I just stopped and said, thank you, Lord. I can just carry this in today. But there may be a time when we're not able to do that. So my question is, are you going to bow down and sort of tuck under, underneath your shirt, or are you going to say, I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Point number six, your praise can change lives for eternity. And oftentimes, whenever we think of praise, we just think of it as, yeah, oh, now ain't that something? Just jamming out. I see Trey back here jumping or, or just, just having fun on drums. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's praise to some degree. But praise is also a heart posture. Praise sometimes costs you something. Whenever you don't feel like praising, you say, Lord, I'm going to praise you anyway. That's when praise really matters. And that can change lives for eternity. What do you mean? Just because no prisoners escaped that night doesn't mean that nobody was set free. I'll say that again. Just because no prisoners escaped doesn't mean that nobody was set free. Because that night, there was one person who was truly set free, and that was the jailer. When he was about to kill himself, he turned and said, what must I do to be saved? And all that happens, that heart posture switch from lock them up to what must I do was because of their, their praise. At midnight in a prison. Let's continue. Verses 31 through 34. They're responding to him asking, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, not once he got off work, not next week, not he had a football game, immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. And check this out, he and his whole household. All because of their their praise. It impacted the eternity of the jailer, his household, and anyone who has heard this message since it happened about 2,000 years ago. So point number seven, I actually want to turn uh, away from Paul and Silas. I want to focus on the jailer for a second. Don't doubt what God can do through your past. Maybe you're a jailer, and I'm not talking about at the sheriff's office, but maybe you're in a position of saying, I don't care about God, just doing my job, just punch in the clock, make sure the, the prisoners stay in, make sure the shelves stay stocked, make sure all the people stay in line. I'm just doing my thing. And what if God wants to do something through that? Because the jailer's testimony led to his whole family being saved. What I love about this is, um, well, actually back it up. I tried to look and and just do some more research on this story. Unfortunately, this this is the most information we have about it in Scripture, everything I brought you today. But I would be so curious to know at what time of the hour did the jailer accept Christ? At what time of the hour did his family come to Christ? My guess is about 45 minutes. I'm open to uh, counter offers and counter answers. But I bet it's about 45 minutes. And what you see in that is that God used a man to help lead his family to Christ, who accepted Christ 45 minutes ago. And 46 minutes before then, he was unsaved, and he was a jailer. God wants to do things through your past. Number eight, you're never lost. You're just not fully aware. You may say, Lord, I am just so confused why have I been on this medication for the last four years and I just can't seem to get off it? Lord, I'm not sure what's happening. Why am I in just this terrible relationship? I can't. Lord, I'm not sure what's going on. Lord, the Lord says, hey, what if you're not lost? You're just not fully aware of what I'm doing right now. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What does that mean? Sometimes we're just simpletons who need to listen to the person who's in charge. Sometimes we just gotta say, Lord, I'm not sure, but I just trust that you're leading me and you have a great plan for my life because you have plans to prosper me and to give me hope in the future. You're in charge, Lord. I'm not lost. I just may not may be aware of what you're doing. Number nine, your praise is not just a weapon, but it's a testimony. It could be a weapon to have the foundations come down. It could be a testimony to lead others to Christ. Like I mentioned before, Paul and Silas weren't the only ones whose chains came off. Everyone's did. And eventually the family, I'm sorry, the jailer and his family came to Christ because of the praise. Point number 10, and the last one, be prepared to share the gospel at any time. Now, why is this important? Because whenever the jailer said, what must I do to be saved, Paul didn't say, hey, I'll tell you what, you need to come to Vision Church this weekend, you need to find a host team member, they're going to direct you to a care team member, and they're going to lead you into how to accept Christ. Paul shared the gospel with him right then in that moment. Because I believe eternity was at hand in that split second, what must I do to be saved? I don't know, here's Pastor Matt's contact, I'll just airdrop it to you, you can text him later. Or are you ready to share what God wants to do. So real quick, um, about a week ago, I had an opportunity in the workplace to lead someone to Christ and share share the message of the gospel with someone that ended up accepting Christ. It was wonderful. And um, to wrap up the message, I was just praying, Lord, what do you want me to share on as we wrap this up? And I'm just curious if there's anyone in here today who's asking, what must I do to be saved? Someone may have just brought you in today, or you may have been tricked thinking, hey, I thought this was just free free turkey. I didn't know that there was church involved and someone didn't tell you the church part. No matter why you're here today, you may be asking, what must I do to be saved? Well, I'm going to tell you. First of all, is we have to admit that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. It's admitting that, yes, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. Lord, I've messed up, and I admit that I am not enough to bridge the gap between my sin and your righteousness. I think of this analogy as a giant mountain over here, a giant mountain over here. There used to be a bridge until our sin set that bridge on fire, and there's no way that we can make that gap. You could, you could try to jump it. You could try to run and jump. No matter what you do, you are going to fall because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is that we have an advocate who has come to take our spots. We believe in substitutionary atonement here at church, which means that if we believe Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took the place for our sins and he is the substitute whenever we should be the ones who have to have eternal torment in hell. Jesus said, I'm gonna be that substitute because when he died on the cross for three days, he went to hell and he took our spot. And if you believe in him, you never have to go there. John 14, 6, Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Mormonism is wrong. Hinduism is wrong. Jesus is the only way. It's not supposed to be inclusive in terms of, let me see what you think. No, no, this is the only way. Jesus, I say it lovingly, no, Buddha is not the way. Muhammad is not the way. All those people are dead. They never rose again. Jesus died and rose again. He's the only one who did. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Next up, Galatians 2.20, it says, I am been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What does that mean? It means you have to admit I need to die to my own self and I need to put on Christ as my new identity. It's saying I am not enough. Again, I can't bridge that gap Jesus, I need to move out of the way, and I have crucified myself with you, and now you are the one who lives in me. Next up in Galatians 4, 5, it says we might receive adoption to sonship. What that means, your identity has changed from an orphan to a son. Whenever you are a son in someone's family, you have benefits that an orphan doesn't have, because if we don't have Christ, we are orphans, but we can be adopted into the family of God by sonship, And if you believe all that, John 8 36 says, Who the Son sets free is free indeed. So if you admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you can choose today to accept Jesus Christ in your heart, and your eternity will be changed. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm going to do now. I just want to ask You don't have to raise your hand right now, but I just want to ask if there's anyone in this room who maybe doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you want to give your life to him today. The way this conversation came up last week whenever I led someone to Christ is I asked them, "Do you know where you're going one day whenever you die?" And they thought about it for a second and they said, "I'm not really sure, but I think I've done some good things." But see, our good deeds are like filthy rags. It's not enough to bridge that gap. And that's what opened the conversation to sharing about the message of Jesus. So first of all, I just want to ask you, and you don't have to respond out loud, but do you know where you're going when you die? And if no, then you have an opportunity to make a decision for Christ today. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and, and I have respect for someone who may be praying it for the first time. I want you to repeat after me, but we're going to pray as a church family in a minute. And if you made a decision for Christ and said, I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to be reborn into the family of God, be a son and a child of God, then I'm going to ask you to do something bold. After this prayer, I'm going to say amen. I don't want you to raise your hand. I want you to stand up. And yes, that's intimidating, but if you can't stand up in here, you probably won't stand up out there. So I'm going to pray. And if you made a decision for Christ for the first time today at the ends i'm gonna count one two and on three i'm gonna ask you to stand up our host team members we have a bible for you a gift for you we'll be able to pray with you and you are gonna be in the family of god just like that jailer who asked what must i do to be saved him and this whole household were saved that day so right now i just want you to to just pray and ask the lord holy spirit what are you speaking to me today we're just, just going to sit for a moment because I want God to really speak to us. So, Lord, what are you speaking to me today? So, as we continue in this moment of prayer and asking the Lord, what are you trying to speak to me? Some of you is to make a decision for Christ. And some of you, is to take another step in your faith journey. Some some of you, is to lift up a shot of praise at midnight. So right now, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want you guys to repeat this prayer after me out loud. I have respect for anyone who's praying it for the first time. And at the end, I'm going to count one, two, and on three, if you said for the first time, I want you to stand up, and this room is going to go nuts and cheer for you. We may have no one pray it. We may have 10 people pray it. But right now, I want you to pray, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died and rose again. And that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then I will be saved. So God today, I choose to follow you forever. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time on three, I want you to stand up with boldness. One, two, three. Okay. Wonderful. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anyone else? Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Excellent. Excellent. I'm going to sing this. español, am going to this. i Okay, Alandra. Alondra is aquí. Alondra is here. i I'm going Nelson? Nelson? this. Brother? Pause for a second. this. man just... No, stand up. this. this. this man. I believe really took a faith step to start pursuing Christ strongly about two years ago, and right now you're the only one in this room who can speak and help her leader in the in her relationship with Christ. Good luck. God will give you strength in this moment, brother. I want you to go with that woman and pray with her, talk with her, see what the Lord's done in her life. Report back to us after the service. Go ahead, go ahead. You're good. You're good. Is there anyone else in this room who made a decision for Christ today? Excellent. Excellent, excellent. Well, church, in this moment, we are going to come into a time of a time of worship. So whether you're at midnight, you're on the mountaintop, or you're in the valley, we're going to worship. So church, I invite you to get and stand to your feet. This song is called Sea of Victory, and God's just going to break some chains in this place today. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today on the Vision Church podcast. We hope that you were able to experience God in a real and powerful way today. If you just made the decision to accept Jesus, then congratulations. We would love to celebrate with you. Visit viz.church slash salvation and we would love to meet you along with mailing you a free gift. We would also love to have you join us for church in person or on the Vision Network this Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Head on over to viz.church slash RSVP to let us know you're coming. As always, we are here for you, and we'd love to pray for you in any way that we can. Send us a DM on Instagram at viz.church, and a team member will be in touch shortly. Thanks again for joining us, and God bless.